and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, and this is a music podcast. And speaking of music, the song that played me in is entitled Silver Seed from the album All of This is Chance by Lisa O'Neill, and it is out now on Rough Trade Records. All things Lisa O'Neill are in the show notes. Do yourself a favor. Buy and listen to this album and explore all the music that Lisa O'Neill has put into this world because it's incredible. She's an amazing singer-songwriter, and I have, I'm, it's like the music just takes me away. Like, I'll walk my dog, and I'll listen to it, and I'll just lose track of where I am. And I'm okay with that. I love when music does that. And this album, All of This Is Chance, is just incredible. But please, like I said, explore all the music of Lisa O'Neill. She's an Irish singer-songwriter, and... uh, I don't know. I think you're going to love it. I'm honored and uh, thrilled that she did the podcast. And uh, I hope to see her live real soon. That's my my goal in life. Um, If you're new to the podcast, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. You can go to themattdwire.com and discover more about who the hell I am. And I one of the things that you could do on my website or you could go to Sub Pop Records' website is I produced and curated a album called The Eleventh Hour, Songs for Climate Justice with uh, Sub Pop and Adam McKay. And all proceeds of that of sales of that album go to the Climate Emergency Fund who fund activists around the world who are fighting for climate justice. And it's a very important cause and it is one dear to my heart, and I hope it is to yours too, because it is the clock is a ticking on this. Uh, so please, that's also in the show notes. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. Most of my episodes have a part two. So you could go to and become a Patreon subscriber for $5 a month. You get early release of episodes, uh, part twos, music blogs, lots of other stuff. So that And it supports the podcast. So that's also because, you know, it's not like I do this, you know, it costs money to do this, so help is, help is nice. I like help. I'm not ashamed to ask for help. And also, if you do need a website, my website was created by Kelly R. Dwyer. You can go to kellyrdwyer.com. She does tons of websites, big podcasts, and podcast networks like Exactly Right or Ologies with Allie Ward. So she's no small beans when it comes to making podcast websites or websites in general. And yeah, and if you're if you're not new to the podcast, I really appreciate that you've listened to multiple episodes. And another way besides Patreon to help out the podcast is to just tell friends about it. If you like it, share it with your friends because word of mouth is the best. You could write a review on iTunes, but I don't look at those. I don't really uh, whatever you know Yelp. Usually, it's just grumpy people expressing how grumpy they are and using a restaurant or a waiter as uh, as the catalyst to to spew their venom. <laughs> and I've, I've bartended and I've waited tables. And, uh, you know, I think everybody should have to work in the service industry for, like, at least a year to understand how complicated and intense of a job it can be. Because it's not like they're just off in the corner chewing gum. It's hard work, and there's multiple working, you know, wheels of spinning that make the whole thing work. And if one breaks or one person calls in sick, it complicates things. So you should have compassion for your fellow waiters. Be gentle. Be gentle to yourself. Be gentle to others. Has that so much to ask? If we were all gentle to ourselves and gentle to others, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we'd have an enlightened society. But uh, that's that. Uh, please, uh, again, check the show notes. Always check the show notes. That's where all the goodies and links live. And please enjoy this conversation with the great Lisa O'Neill. No cross can clear my gladness, tear my madness. I'm born in me mother's seed. Mother is soil and queen. I like to stare into space um, when thinking about questions. Do you <laughs> do you visualize when you when you think? Are you more like a visual thinker? 
I'm pretty sure that's yeah. Yeah, because my my partner will get mad at me if I, or many people have gotten mad at me in my life because I'll look away when they're talking, but it's not because I'm not listening. It's because I'm like imagining what they're saying and I'm taking it in, and it's the better way for me to to process it. Oh yeah, absolutely, and uh, my I totally know what you're talking about there. Um, so you look away, and it's almost like a blank canvas, and you're really trying to see what they're saying. Um, I, I even read like that. If I'm reading a poem or a book, I have to look, I take the line in and then I have to look away and picture the line. Um, so, so same thing. Does that also uh, translate to how you create? I, I think so. I think I, I, I see it on the wall. I do always look at something that's almost like a blank canvas. And I, I mean, in the the last five years, I've been writing from the same place pretty much, um, the same spot in the sitting room on the sofa. Um, or at least the ideas might not land when I'm sitting there, but when I go to look at them and follow them, um, I'm in that position and I like to stare at the blank wall and see out see it and it's like a map sometimes um and i think what happened you know and i wait to see what well, what's gonna happen next idea <laughs> <laughs> imagination what are we we're going there oh that's very bold i love the openness of that like that's just so open to receive it seems like it's like we follow I, I that for me anyway like I um, it's like a seed lands a little seed um and and then you you follow it or you watch it grow but follow it it's like a it's like I can see it had taken a journey down the road and there again they don't I don't it doesn't belong to us it's it's something we can follow and try and capture and draw a picture of um, and I, I suppose I'm doing it in the medium of a song. I draw a song of, I draw a song of it. <laughs> Does that translate? Because when you're saying that, I'm thinking about just life in general, and like if we would approach life more that way, opposed to uh, sometimes we get caught in our head and things have to be this way and that way. But uh, do you approach life that way as well? as just being open and following. Well, I'd like to, but we can't always do that or it would be late. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I like to and I try to and I think my natu- my my spirit wants to, um, but society doesn't allow us to do that a lot of the time. Um, I, I, Maybe I'm more privileged than some others in that sense. And I do, part of my, is I can't believe I have a career like as a songwriter. I still think it's wild. Um, but the part of that uh, occupation is that you, um, it's, 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 it's nearly, um, it's expected that you take the seat of the dreamer. Or the position of the dreamer, um, in order to catch the ideas, um, and I, I think that's the same for all forms of art. You know, um, it's uh, <laughs> I can get very um, abstract when I when I'm trying to explain how I see it. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I do like to live life like that, but but you can't really. I mean, um, someone would say you'd get nothing done. It's almost like you're on an acid trip. Um, <laughs> I heard like Django Reinhardt would often like blow off a concert to be like, I'm going to stroll by the river and then like just leave a <laughs> hundred people stranded watching an empty stage, <laughs> which I always was fascinated by that he would just do that. I never heard that before. That's 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 mad. Uh, wonderful. But then at the same time, if Django writes a beautiful song about that river, I I think it's uh, it's okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. 
I, I wish I had the courage to, I mean, I guess that's really following your, whatever your mood is, but I, I you know, he, he, someone who's considered a genius, you'd look back at that and go, oh, how, how poetic. But the people sitting in that audience are like, Hey man, <laughs> I spent good money. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I guess nobody's perfect, but at least he's following his, um, his feeling and um, if maybe if hopefully he the, the money came back to the people, but he's he's been true to himself, I suppose, um, in his moment. And who knows what else went on in his head the night he to- decided to make that decision? <laughs> Not so I say, you know, uh, what he told the people is poetic, isn't it? But who knows? Where people struggle, don't they? Not suggesting Django did in that moment, but right. Um, yeah, I mean, I this is uh, an example of it in kind of a, a sort of a not such a, a dramatic and poetic way for me is that I, I do, I cancel things if I um, if I feel taken by the moment. And I don't think that, sorry, it's a bit noisy, there's a bin truck outside. That's okay. um, sometimes... I, I mean, I'm not as really prolific in the sense that um, I'm writing every day or anything like that, but um, I notice things a lot, and uh, it's it's having the right chemistry on a certain day that you've noticed something, um, and you feel like uh, in that creative free headspace to write about it, and you're following the idea. So that doesn't come all the time. I always collect the ideas, but I'm not always in the right mood to follow them and write them and we say um, massage them or cook them or tend to them on the day that they arrived. But if that does happen, um, I have I would cancel. I'd really have a good think about, was I supposed to be meeting this friend today or doing this other thing? And I kind of weigh it up and think, okay. I haven't felt like this in two months, so I'm going to cancel that. I'm going to stick with. I'm going to follow my idea here, but I've I've never um, cancelled um, a concert um, for that reason. Uh, are you? If you have that feeling and that idea, and for some reason you can't get to it in that moment, are you able to, at a later time, return to that feeling and thought and create from it, or is it gone? Mm. there's no straight answer to that um, because uh, both sometimes it is gone but sometimes you can return to it and I think that when you can return to it um, there's a lot at play but one of the big players is emotion I think and you felt it 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 literally moved you it moved inside you you felt it you were so moved by something that you felt compelled um and uh, uh, almost like a vibration and if you can go back to that and 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 there's still that vibration returns again i think it's very telling that the idea is very very real for you to follow it's for you to follow you've felt it you've got empathy with it like like uh, and if you i guess if it's hard to get back to that feeling um, maybe it's it it should be fleeting. Maybe it's not, you know. So I've had both reactions. Uh, does that make any sense? It totally does. I I swear to God, I could listen to you talk forever. <laughs> I'm captivated Aww. by everything you say. I I when you were saying that, it made me think of. Did you was there a recognizable moment in your life when you had that feeling? And the impulse to follow uh, uh, an emotion in an artistic way. Well, I don't remember the first time. Um, I was doing it before I would have ever called it art, or even that it was a song, or you know. So, because I do, what I I definitely remember thinking they're not songs. That's silly. Um, until someone told me, well, that's a song, you know, (laughs) I'm not lying. That's my experience hasn't been, I didn't, um, 
I wasn't that sort of a dreamer as a child that I had a goal that I'm going to be a singer and write songs someday. Um, I reacted first. Um, and then, yeah, sorry, I'm getting, I'm losing my train of thought a bit. Oh, Can I, you ask me to answer your question? Uh, I believe so. I'm curious what made you think they weren't songs. Were they just things that popped out of you? I did I knew they were musical and stuff but I somehow um, and I think a lot of young people uh, think this way in early creativity that there's there's something illegitimate about the piece that they make is not like um, that there's there's some there's some great divide between that and a record (laughs) (laughs) when really there isn't that's the amazing thing um, I do. I, I can't remember how old I was, but it was Bob Dylan that was in my mind when I first somehow. I must have heard an interview or found myself in a discussion, but it did land for me in a kind of a. I thought people write songs. Songs don't just. They're not just there. Like they are born in my, in the mind in the imagination. Um. And I, I really, I liked that. That um, was very, that really thrilled me. And I thought, uh, I, I think I can, I do, I, you know, I can do that. But I was doing it anyway. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little bit. Um, don't know if I'm making sense. You are. Uh, I, I, I just find it interesting because Bob Dylan. I just recently read that Bob Dylan was greatly influenced by Irish folk music, like the Clancy Brothers, and and of course, mm-hmm. I forget the others. Liam Clancy. <laughs> Pardon me. He was a he was a fan, a big fan of Liam Clancy, uh, and only recently I went to see him. Uh, the last time he was in Ireland, it must be four or five months ago. Oh, and he 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 let us know that he appreciates Shane McGowan. Actually, he said uh, he's one of our. And when I think when Bob Dylan says our, he says he's one of our great writers. I think he means us humanity. And I thought, well, well, I agree with you, Bob. <laughs> Shane is yeah one of our great writers and and inspirations. I mean these these guys. They really, they hold it. They they set a level, and you know, and that's that's good for us. It's good and, to have a level. And when did you start consciously writing songs? And do you recall like how that felt when you first were like, okay, I'm going to write songs? There was no okay. I'm going to write songs. Uh, I was writing songs. And then I think, that, excuse me, then I think there was a, okay, I'm going to share my songs. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something I don't think I've ever said out loud before, because this is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, I, I really want to be truthful in, in my interviews, because life's too short. Like, um, when I was very, very young, like maybe four or five years old, I got a bit of an obsession for Jack, the Jackson Five, and Michael Jackson, and my father was had a band, so I grew up knowing that people in my life play in bands, and I saw some film about the Jackson Five, and Michael Jackson was just a kid, and I thought I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> At a very, very young age. So it was, a seed was set very early, but then there was, seemed to be quite a break and I, I didn't really see them as songs. I was right, they were coming out. And so I do think that there's a true expression that comes out of young people and they're embarrassed of it, but it's, they, it, it's something needs to, they need to express something in order to move on to the, or to explore or to, so I was doing it before I, a long time before I, Taught it, they, you know, it was legitimate. So I do. I think I, it was a choice of sharing the song rather than deciding to write songs. That was that's natural. Uh, and and then when people started to maybe take notice and appreciate, they changed things for me in my head. And I then I wanted to be good at writing songs. I wanted to kind of focus, and I became quite aware of 
judgment and what people might think. So I start to work on crafting them then. I'm fascinated by that. What about, what compelled you to share them and how did you share a song for the first time? Who did you sh- share it with? Well, probably my guitar teacher. But uh, at home when I wrote it, and which was probably quite kind of sneaky of me, my little brother was a baby and I was 12 years older than him and we were very close and he was only maybe two or three years old and he adored me. I just bring him everywhere with me. So no matter what I was doing, he was just smiling at me and looking at me like a, you know, like a like a dog might follow you around the house. Um, wash you, like I know my manager's dog follows her around the house and watches her fill the dishwasher and everything she's doing. She's like his hero. So Daniel, the little baby was, uh, so I, he, he came with me wherever I just put him sitting there. So I'd put him sitting in the chair in front of me, play him the little song that I wrote. And he was too young to have an opinion. He'd smile away at me. <laughs> so... He was my first audience, and uh, and then the guitar teacher. Um, I, I I played him a song a couple of weeks after I began the lessons, and um, I don't think I told him I wrote it. He asked me where I got it from, and then I said I wrote it, and he said, "Oh, when?" And I said, "Last week." So it was the beginning of it, and he said, "That's good. Write another one," and that was the beginning of it. That's amazing. And you you grew up in a very... Was the family very musical? Because like you said, your father played... I know you said your father played. And I get the... the like, I don't want to sound cliche, but I get the, the impression, unlike America, that Ireland is a lot more musical and, and literature-based. Like, it seems intric, intricate to a way of life there, where here it's, uh, let's watch Netflix. <laughs> Well, I mean, we have, I don't know. I mean, we have different history, you know? So that's a lot to do with it. And um, uh, customs and culture here in Ireland. Um, There were people living here thousands of years ago and they were singing then as well. And music was always a, a fundamental part of our communication and of our language. Um, it is language. I, I'm interested in something called orality, which is how we communicated before we started writing things down. And not just in Ireland, but across the globe. Aboriginal people of Australia, for example, um, celebrated this, what they called song lines, and their whole encyclopedia and education and everything that a person needed to know about their, their existence, about their environment, about the constellations above them, about their part in the greater story of life, was all in this song. And so, sorry for taking such a jump backwards in answering this question about music and literature being such a part of um, our culture, but like, it, it's a part of our fabric. It's, it's our first language, I think. Now, people might disagree with me on that one. That's just my feeling and my guess. Uh, um, and that's not just for Ireland. Like, that's for life. That's for humanity. I believe uh, when we are in the womb, it's musical. Listening to our mother's heartbeat is musical. When we... I Like, my niece is only one and a half years old, and she can't talk yet, but she can sing. That's not learned. That's felt. So... Maybe something in Ireland has managed to preserve it for longer or I don't know. But of course you love music in America and it is a massive part of your... And we watch Netflix here as well. (laughs) (laughs) We do. And I love it, to be honest, during the lockdown, it was a a bit of a lifeline to get, you know, the way I, I tell you that I like to dream off staring at the wall here to follow my ideas. I equally need... 
and love. I, I need the break, but I also am inspired to dream off in someone else's dream, which is to watch an amazing movie or a series. And um, so we're all changed. We've all changed. We're all we're all changing, Matt. Um, and the music, a lot of the music that I grew up listening to uh, in Calvin um, would have been American music, like American country music. Um, we held it very high, you know, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline. That was that was big. And so I got, I was very, I was into the songwriters very early. I liked the telling of a story via song. It was something we were used to enjoying together. And then back in the old Irish traditions, a, a folklore, like it, it was a a thing to just to share the stories and storytelling before we had televisions. Um, that's how people connected at nighttime or at the weekends, but downtime when they're not um, out on the, the land, they come together in the evenings and what they would call Kaylee. Um, and they'd sit around and they'd they play old play tunes and tell stories and myths and um, ghost stories and uh, talk about old traditions and old cures and they but this is folklore this is passing on down and there was great imagination in that because people would maybe sit and close their eyes and just listen and dream off and imagine this. Um, and the song is all part of that as well, you know. <clears throat> There's so much wisdom carried in the song. Yeah, it, it's an amazing vehicle, and it, it it has outlived it outlives everybody. The song outlives us all, but it's a fantastic place to um, document our history. And not just the history, the, the history outside the history that's written in the history books, but the truth. Yeah, that, excuse me, that reminds me of, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I've, I've, I've read something where you were talking about singing, singing your truth and finding your truth. And I was, I don't know if this is too abstract of a question, but it's, is that the same as finding your voice or is the truth within your, I have to, is the truth a different thing within your art? I don't know if that was, I don't know if I worded that well. Maybe they're, maybe they're, maybe in perfect world, they come together and they, mar they happily marry. But I think that there's a difference in the, the, the phrasing of my truth and the truth, like um, the truth as I see it. You know, because I don't feel I own anything that moves through me. I don't think there is such thing as a my truth. Like, you know, there's the truth. Um, and I think we feel it strongly when we're second guessing something. It just mightn't be the truth or we don't know enough about it yet. But there's a real strong sense of that's true and that's not right. Um, so finding the truth is... Is something we seek out when we feel that something is unsolved, right? Um, speaking the truth has become a very difficult thing in today's world. And f what is it to find your voice? I mean, it's it's not just a, what the voice is not just a audible thing that we hear. We're talking about truth, aren't we? We're talking about our sense of our. Is it about our sense of ourselves or is it so about our, our sense of the world and what is truth to you? What is, uh, I, I, I don't, I find it, it's a very um, difficult environment to, uh, to speak the truth in today. Plus the, on the flip, the, what I was thinking of what you're saying is like, if everyone is afraid to speak, then you get this, like if you watch a sports interview after a game, the guy goes, "They played hard. We played hard. I loved playing in this town. The crowds are great." Like it's just these repeatedly cliched answers. And I'm like, well, if that's how everybody's going to start talking, then we have no curiosity left. We're just, we're all just like a mannequin. <laughs> hmm. 
We're all gone very polite, Matt. Ah. Um, is it politeness? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm grumpy. I'm a grumpy guy from Chicago, so I... <laughs> I have a hard... um, it's okay. it's uh, I, I'm grumpy too. I try not to be I, grumpy. I'm trying to work on myself, Lisa O'Neill, and be a better human. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I spoke to my friend about it this morning about um, looking at the the you know seeing the world in a certain way that can it can make you grumpy. It can make you feel um. A lot of it can be negative, but it, we don't. It, I think there's 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 more progression in looking at these things than ignoring them and being blind eyed to the, the the things that we see and observe in the world that are feel like oh that ain't good. Yeah. Uh, social injustices, I, I guess. I, I and. Are things that really kind of whip up fear for people, and we see them. And, and there is movement in looking at them. You know, you can be narky and grumpy for a while, but I think in creativity there are phases, and there are very uncomfortable phases sometimes in looking at um, some some of the issues that we might find ourselves not being able to ignore. Um, but like I say, there are phases because you come out the other end and. Um, in a piece of art or poetry or documented in a smaller kind of compact way that it's it's left you now it's not in you it's not become toxic you've done something with it you've created something out of it that might mean something to others um i hope i'm not being too vague no i don't uh, know i didn't didn't think so I, i i feel our culture or society is is has been pushed not to address things uh, like you look at pop psychology and pop philosophies where people it's like be positive <laughs> it's like and don't look on the bad dark side but it's like sometimes you have to say hey this is bullshit <laughs> like yeah. I, and and i feel like we need to maybe return to that a little bit instead of being all pollyannish about the world because it's crumbling quite frankly <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's it's not in a great state um and ignoring that and smiling through it is not uh, is a bit of a bizarre response to that as well you know um but uh, i still i look for light in everything yes you know um as well because we are still here and we are still alive uh, among all the darknesses of the world um they're equally uh, you know there <laughs> you know there's new life every day and there's life still continues to offer us um things that make us feel in awe of life you know um like 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 a child being born or um what you know watching spring do its thing again as we come around to that season every year and think jesus i didn't think i'd see you that was a long winter and everything's <laughs> blossoming um so there there is there's balance and it doesn't mean that you have to be in denial about uh, the truths of the world um, it's not black and white you know there's somewhere in between take the world in as it is uh, and still try and do our best with um, the information um, is there uh, how we process what's coming at us sorry Matt oh no I was sorry let me be the sorry one I just was curious because I know one of the themes within your album is the disconnect of humanity from nature. And I was wondering if this applies to any of what we're, we're, we are discussing at this moment. Does it apply to what we're 
Well, yeah, because... <laughs> I mean, we're talking about... I mean, kind of vaguely about, you know, some of the not-so-great things about where the world is at. Where um, And that's from human's point of view, isn't it? From humanity's point of view, where the world is at. How did we get here? Looking at global warming and the... Our, our rainforests are in trouble. Um, there are fires across the globe over the last couple of years. Unbelievable fires, I care, floods. Um, there's no doubt about this. Um, we're at a new level. Um, and when it comes to our disconnect with nature, I, I can't help feel a little bit like we we somehow in recent years, when I say recent, I suppose in the last hundred years, have adopted it, or 50 years even, a sort of a take it or leave it attitude towards nature. But we are nature. It's not something we can think, oh, I I have quite a keen eye for nature, or I don't. I don't care, but you, you are nature. You're of it. We're of this world. It, uh, the earth has hosted us um, and we haven't been looking after it and, and I'm one of those I mean I'm not saying you know I'm not pointing the finger here it's, I don't I'm not out there planting trees either but we've I think what I'm trying to say is that um it's quite recent, this um, take it or leave it attitude in the sense that um, people needed to be, they lived with nature really very quite recently. Um, it was completely necessary um, to be to have to listen to the seasons um, and be more aware of the cycles of the moon Um and the crop that's coming in. This was a matter of life and life or death. And listening to, uh, we were hunters as well, you know. Um, it's not about farming cows um, to sell meat. Um, people they did need to hunt, but um, so they we they needed to listen to the world around them and. Uh, I know I'm losing my. I'm not to come on full circle with what I'm trying to, what I see and what I'm trying to say there. Because I, I still feel quite young in everything that I'm learning. I'm just, and I'm, a, I'm an observer. I'm not an authority on anything, but I, I sense things. And uh, yeah, I do. I think we've treated nature like we we don't we don't need it. It's something we. And go back and get if we want later on or it's like no we do we have needed it and our people before us for a long long time have known that so there's a bit of there's something gone amiss yeah and then there's the, the in recent years my question is it been replaced by something else are we distracted why do we think we don't need I, 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 you know, I think of the phrase when people say like he conquered the Arctic. <laughs> I'm like, he didn't conquer shit. Like you didn't. What? We don't control. Like we have. I think there is this mentality with humanity of that we're in control, and it's like we're not. And it goes back to the George Carlin bit about we're not saving the planet. The planet's going to be fine. We are saving our own self. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, our best shot at saving the planet is to fuck off. <laughs> And I, I will admit, like it wasn't until the last few years that I became fully aware of where we are situated with global warming. And perhaps it's because I have children. I might have been, if I didn't have kids, I might still be some drunk fucking idiot, <laughs> completely oblivious to the world around me. But I'm like in panic mode because I'm like, I'm not going to see it. My kids are going to really see it what this result is and it's mm -hmm. keeps me up at night like I do not sleep because of it well 
But that's kind of, well, I'm sorry that you don't sleep. That's not good that you're losing sleep over it, but it also shows that you have empathy with something that is really, we should be plugged into. Um, that's maybe what it takes for people to make movement and take action. And it's actually part of nature to um, be thinking about the next generation and not just about your time here on earth, right? Yeah. That's this, That's part of the, the whole system, isn't it? Is to to care about the next generation and to be always trying to move forward into a better place from where we are now. Um, there's there's a term for this. I just want to try and find this book because I had it earlier on. There's a, my friend Mary wrote this book. There's a term for what we're we're talking about here. Um, can I can I find can I find it in the book? Of course. It's called a shifting baseline oh, syndrome. I'm gonna write this down. And it's it's in a book written by Mary Reynolds. We are the Ark. Um, it'll take me like. A, can I just read this little bit for you, please? As a species, we immediately forget what is lost and see only what exists right here, right now. Every generation is experiencing huge shifts in what passes for a natural system. These changes have become more extreme over the last few generations. What adults see as almost dead landscapes, our kids will perceive as natural and normal. There is a phrase for this phenomenon that most of us suffer from these days, shifting baseline syndrome. The term was first coined by marine biologist Daniel Pauly, who used it to describe scientists' baselines for healthy fish populations. Professor of Conversation Science, Dr. E.J. Milner-Gulland, wrote in a paper about shifting baselines. Generational amnesia, is when knowledge is not passed down from generation to generation. For example, people may think of as pristine wilderness, the wild places that they experienced during their childhood, but with every generation, this baseline becomes more and more degraded. Wow. Uh, and that's just a tiny little caption from, uh, that book is worth, um, Mary's book is important. It's an important book. Um, she's she, she's having a real shot at giving us a chance to how we can actually, what we can do about um, helping our, our beautiful earth um, because she's not well. What is the title she's of the book again? We Are the Ark. Claire will send you one. Um, Claire, you spoke to Claire, my manager, earlier on. Claire will send you one. Uh, um, we emailed about our dogs. <laughs> yeah, because I, I hope I didn't go totally off track there. Um, I like going off track greatly. I I would rather go off track than pound you with the same questions you get repeatedly about music. That's my biggest fear is to cover ground that you've covered before. So I welcome it, and I hope you were cool with it. I am cool with it, and I am finding very interesting um, in interviews recently. Like, people actually have not been coming with these, these silly old questions about music, but seem to want, there seems to be a, hu a heightened awareness of um, the worries of the world, and people want to talk about um, where the world is at. And um, there's a collective. Awareness and intelligence going on, I suppose. People don't feel that they can ignore the, every, the world around them and just focus on <laughs> marketing music or, you know, it's deeper. Everyone, we're all going a little bit deeper. And I I know that we've kind of landed in a quite a dark area of conversation here, but it's there's a, there's a brightness in conversation. There's a brightness in in looking at the stuff and just not kind of blind eyedly not talking about it, but, you know, talking about what we feel like talking about or what we're trying to sell. There's, um, people are good. Like I think most people are good and I, it's time 
time to start. This is this is a big the, the, where the planet Earth is at is 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 not just something we might talk about uh, in ten years' time. It's now. Yeah, and I feel like it's uh, it gives me hope because you don't see climate change should be the fucking number one story in the media every day. Like it, they should be saying like, Hey, we're in trouble. Let's work on this. And instead you get, uh, you know, horseshit. Well, that's a pandemic. That's, that's the, that's the big one. There's the big obvious one. Um, it's, it's, it's climate change. It's, and it's how we're, how we're living, how we're consuming, um, and what can we do to help at this point? You know, and I don't have the answers at the ready. This book was very helpful, though. And Mary's a friend of yours. Yeah, I feel privileged. Mary's a friend of mine, and know to go if you ever visit Ireland to go walking and go walking with Mary Reynolds, um, and she will teach you the majesty of nature. Uh, speaking of visiting Ireland, I would love to sleep on your couch when I arrive. Oh, we can do better than that. I have something called a middle bed. I actually middle made... Oh, sorry. Did you hear about middle bed? I did hear about your little bed. Uh, uh, middle bed. Middle bed. I, what is a middle bed? It's in the middle of the room. Oh. And it's not the bedroom. It's in the middle of the living room. It's like some people call it a day bed. But I call it a middle bed. Um, it, I, I go. You you go into middle thinking in between worlds. <laughs> I think when you're when you're writing, you're in you have your writing space, which is my writing space is my live my living space. Um, there are good sometimes. There are different phases, like I say, and um, I. I talked about sitting in that position on the sofa most of the time, looking at the blank wall, but then there, sometimes I need a new environment. So I move over to middle bed, <laughs> to middle thinking. And you're sort of between worlds. It's hard to, I'm being a bit abstract. I'm sorry. I'm doing a lot of that today. I, I want to make And then bed. I forget this podcast, you know, I never did a podcast before. This is my first. Oh, I podcast. feel honored. I am honored. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> How do you think it's going? I I am so captivated by you and your the way you think and the way you speak that I could it's I I I'm thrilled. I'm almost speechless as you saw me stumble and stutter. Oh no. Uh, well, but you're not. Next question, please. <laughs> oh, you think I prepared? Uh, I try. I try to keep it as. I mean, I have. I research, but I try to keep it as open as possible, so that there is uh, discovery opposed to coming in with a predetermined sort of agenda. Of course, and I think that's a really, really good attitude towards life, towards everything, towards conversation with our friends. Um, how we engage when we go out into the world, and I try to teach, reach. Sorry, I try to approach my concerts like that as well. Um, my live shows, um, and it's a, it's a risky business to not prepare too much because sometimes you can find yourself like a little bit uh, lost for for words or. Um, I often give an introduction to my song because I wanted the listener to have as good a chance possible to be on the same page as me. I see where I understand where I'm coming from or where I came from when I wrote the thing. Um, and uh, but with that, um, I'm a bit allergic to. I don't want to rhyme that off or learn that introduction because that's just. Um, you're closing the airwaves. Yeah. I've seen bands who had a rapport and like joked and talked around on stage. And, and I was like, oh, that was great and spontaneous and fun. And then I saw them again and it was the same exact thing. And I was like, I felt cheated. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, this, yeah, is, this is just a routine. And that's the thing we find with comedians a lot as well. So there has to be a happy balance somewhere in between 
Um, I mean, we need landmarks, surely, and we need points um, that we definitely... You don't want to talk for two or three minutes um, introducing your song uh, and then realise you've been talking for three minutes, you better get on with the song now, and uh, you didn't get your point across at all. <laughs> there are pointers sometimes, and it's a risky business, and I've messed up. I have definitely messed up before and I've talked too long, and I'm trying to talk myself out of uh, a hole (laughs) (laughs) and back to my point. And then I, you know, so it is risky. It's a gamble. So it's it's safe to have markers or at least, yeah, points that you, you, no matter how you put it in, you do need to have freedom in there. And it's the same when you perform a song. No performance is ever the same, you know. Um, There needs to be room for spontaneity. Sure, the lyrics are probably going to stay the same and the chords are going to stay the same, but not the energy and not how you see it and feel it today. And I think that the introduction is the same. Right. Um, But again, it's dangerous and risky business because, you know, I, I, I fail. I do fail uh, from time to time and I can be then really often very um, not so happy with myself coming off stage because I didn't do the idea justice and I feel probably a little misunderstood and um, but I think they're all normal things performance is a funny station do you but can you do you sometimes think that I'm speaking from my experience where sometimes I go uh, internally I'm like oh that was not that was just awful or I screwed up this or my this or that but then like say with like this interview or a interview i what rec- it's recorded so when i go back and listen to it sometimes i'm like oh that wasn't what i thought i was fine do you ever think it's just an internal thing or do you feel like it's on both sides of the uh, you and the audience i i know what you're talking about i think it can be both like and sometimes that is it's it's often it's it feels worse in our head than it actually delivered on stage, but because maybe we know we nearly went somewhere. I just wanted to ask, are you coming to the States? Are you going to tour the States with this mm-hmm. new album? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm very excited about this. I am. Um, I haven't been in about maybe seven or eight years. And that pandemic and the lockdown gave me... Uh, it was such a, um, a chance to reflect for everybody, really, wasn't it? And it made me really feel like, well, if we ever get back to the the freedom that I had before, that life that I was living, you know, touring the world, well, not, not the whole world, but touring out the touring in other countries with your songs it's a remarkable life to be living and it's not that I was ungrateful for it but I I was a bit tired of it and I wasn't even sure did I want to do it and then we were on pause for so long that I became sure well if we get back to that sort of freedom again I definitely want to do it like I and I want to go to back to America and I want to go you know so I'm so excited to come I'm so excited like I, I got very lucky years ago David Graham do you know the songwriter David Graham yes of course songwriter um, he gave me an opportunity when I was much younger and brought me to tour around America and Canada. And I'd never been to America in my life. And all of a sudden I was seeing it from this point of view, touring on a tour bus with a with a band and playing all these wonderful venues like the Grand Ole Opry and the Beacon Theatre in New York. And the one in Chicago was remarkable as well. It, uh, I remember it well. All the stars was put signed their signature on the wall. There were thousands of them, even Frank Sinatra. Wow! Do you remember and, what theater? It's a, a big. Um, was it the Chicago Theater? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Oh, that place is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And so I went from dreaming about America 
to there was no stepping stone to like take a little holiday to America and or it, it was all at once I was it was it was like a dream I all at once I was I was riding on the tour bus with the with this band and um it was and it was my songs that brought me there and it was just it absolutely it was magic like you know and it really gave me um it made me feel like you know anything is possible and I, I always thought I want to go back, you know, I really want to go back to all those places. And now, now we're going back, like, and I'm going back. Um, and I suppose David Gray carried me over there 12 or 13 years ago. And now I feel my songs are carrying me back. And uh, it's something very, very special about that. It makes life feel really magic. After all the dark stuff we're after talking about, I still, I still believe in magic. I still believe in um, every day being a mystery like you know and don't get me wrong I don't think like that every day but there's a sense of that in me every in us every day we because life is it's bittersweet yeah is and this album is getting is this did I read this correctly that it's like your first w w wide American release or is that is that correct or I don't know if the, how that's worded I don't know what that means but it's my first yeah it would be my first uh, release with a, with a label that's connected to uh, in America so, yeah yeah because I mean I knew yeah. of your music before so it was like I, was, I read that and I was like but I already know the music but well, Rough Trader putting it out that's that's one of the that's a big change and and that's a big deal. Um, and it's really exciting. Like, you know, I, I just got to look at it like an experiment. Let's see what happens. This is fun. I'm delighted to have their support. Um, I don't have a business head on me at all. Um, so I'm happy to, to let these people try and give the music a little bit of extra exposure this time. The by God, like life is short, you know, why not? Let's yeah. see what happens. If I don't enjoy the experience, we'll rewind somehow. <laughs> I the album is incredible, as is all your music, but I it's just it's great. Like I just yeah. uh, I was honored to get like an early copy, not or digital copy, not like a hard copy, but uh, and it just was immediately I was I was taken away and in uh, just lost in it and it's you know that's uh, that's that doesn't happen so much where you're just totally entrenched in a song and music and in the world of it it's amazing to hear that um especially well I don't know why I, I say this but is when you when you, when your work connects with people in other parts of the globe like that's it's quite a thrilling feeling to hear that because um, it, well it works it means it worked it means it's working it's not going to work on everyone but and it's not a trick but it's like you made something and uh, like it's like an ex it's not an experiment but uh, you make something like uh, like People don't talk about songs like or poems like their inventions, but in a way they sort of are. <laughs> and you don't really know uh, whether they work until uh, people try and use them and they say, oh, this is very good, I, it, it works. <laughs> so <laughs> a pair of ears say that they really like it, then, then it's like my invention worked. <laughs> Yeah. That's really strange to be putting it, but I'm just trying to give you an example of why it's thrilling to hear, um, and, and it, when even further away from home, that it's having an effect. It's um, um, maybe we're really all not that different, you know. No chorus can clear. 